sunshines. Welcome to What You Readin', a bookish podcast where every other week I share what I've been reading, interview authors, and further my never-ending quest to discover more queer own voices in the media. I'm Mallory, also known as Mallory of Sunshine Around the Interwebs. Join me today for a conversation with Anna Laldin, author of The Descent of the Drowned, which is out this Monday, March 15th. Anna is a Danish-Pakistani Muslim with Indian heritage, so we chat about how her upbringing has shaped her life and her writing. She shares the path she took from listening to the Danish fairy tales her sisters told her to writing Goosebump-esque short horror stories to now full-fledged world-building within the fantasy genre and why fantasy as a genre is so important to her. Oh my goodness. Hi, Anna. It's so great to have you on my podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited um, to be talking to you about your book and about life. And thank you for recording with me so late in the day. <laughs> I know it's like evening time where you are. Yeah, it's it's not that late, but yeah, a little bit. It's yeah, and we're in. The, I feel like we're in the time of year where it's just dark early still, right? Like, yeah. I think our climates are pretty similarly toned. Like I'm looking out and it's gray and overcast. <laughs> so I feel like it might be might be similar. Well, thank you for being on my podcast. Um, I was telling you before we started recording, I'm a little rusty, feeling a little nervous, but I'm so excited for you to be here. Can you start out by just telling um, my listeners just a little bit about you? Because I know that you have – kind of lived in multiple places and you have a, a lot of life experience and a lot of like cultural backgrounds. Can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a Danish Pakistani author. Um, I moved to England in August 2019 to study English literature. Oh, wow. Yeah. So before that, I, I I was born and raised in Denmark, so I've lived there my whole life. Um, and uh, I have three older sisters, and I'm the youngest out of four siblings. Um, and there's about an eight-year gap between me and my third oldest sister. So I was a little bit of an only child um, for a while. And um, yeah, so my parents, they are actually Indian-Pakistanis, and they moved to Denmark in the early 70s. Um, okay. So yeah, I grew up in Denmark with a pretty multicultural home environment um, where, you know, we had the Indian-Pakistani culture, and being Muslims, we also had the Islamic culture, and then also being Danish, we had the Danish culture. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I was reading a little bit, I feel like on your website, maybe just about um, how, <laughs> or maybe it was a different interview question you had, but what has that kind of been like for you just living with, all, like, do you feel pulled in different directions or do you feel like you kind of are on a path where you know which like which parts of which culture make up who you are? Or can you tell us a little bit about uh, just how that has kind of shaped the person that you are? Um, so I think that for the most part growing up, I was pretty confused. Um, yeah. Because when I was outside in Danish society, um, 
I, like my sisters, would wear Western clothes. I spoke Danish. Um, I basically assimilated. Um, and when at the mosque, I would wear a hijab, I would learn Arabic, and I would engage with Islamic culture. But when yeah. at home, I pretty much wore whatever I preferred. I spoke a mix of Urdu, Punjabi, and Danish. And so just having that strange cocktail of <laughs> Pakistani culture and Islamic culture and then Danish culture and just kind of adjusting to, to the different types of cultures depending on where I am or who I'm with has been, it's been confusing and I think at times also very frustrating because, you know, you, you don't know how much of each part you are and which path you need to take and what holds value to you and what doesn't. Mm. And so for me, it was really about figuring out how to separate religion from culture and kind mm. of figuring out what I want it to be. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's still a journey that I'm, that I'm on because um, even though I wear hijab now and I, um, I'm more religious than I'm cultural, I, I still have moments where I'm a little bit confused and, and have to figure things out. Um, so it's never really, it's, it's never really clean cut. It's, it's like a process, um, that takes a lot of time and, and, um, it's definitely been, it's definitely been interesting <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And and being the youngest of, you know, four siblings, do you is that something that you find I'm I'm the oldest of four siblings. Oh. So I find this really interesting too where like I remember when my youngest sister, my baby sister was was when we were all kids, more kids, right? <laughs> like yeah. that age gap felt so much more different and I remember thinking like oh, one day this age gap won't feel so different and we're mm -hmm. all going to be like best friends. I was really close with my middle sister. And so we would always hang out and then it was kind of like, oh, kid sister Becca's like tagging along, eye roll, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like now we're all older and I feel like we're at this phase where maybe some of those experiences that we had in our youth, we've we've found like commonality and like are able to bond over those things. Yeah. And almost like not have therapy with each other, but kind of like we debrief stuff, right? And we go, oh, that's what you were experiencing? That's so interesting because my experience, while we lived the same experience, how I perceived it was totally different. Do you find that with your sisters at all? Are you able to talk about this like life experience you had or and does that help? Definitely. Um, I remember when I was a kid and, and um, my sister's, at that time, they were closer to each other. And I was kind of, like you said, tagging along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and also just because um, I was the youngest and my sisters would tuck me into bed at night. And so the relationship between me and my sisters was more like parent and child. Mm -hmm. And um, now it's, it's really very close and very sisterly. And at times, even best friend-ish, kind of. Um, yeah. Because there's a different, um, like you said, the age gap has kind of disappeared. And yeah. instead, you have 
a very much more close connection with each other and you feel like you can talk to each other about different things and and so it's a very different dynamic now than it was back then definitely yeah yeah and maybe things you talk about now that you would never have thought that you would have those kinds of things man life is so fascinating i i just love meeting people and talking to people because we, there's there's just so many stories in the world. And so I guess that kind of like leads me to my next question. I don't want to get too much into like book world yet, but it, it'll we'll talk about it maybe a little bit more. But um, when, how did stories and like storytelling come into your life? So when, like, when did you know that you had stories you wanted to tell and what made you want to write? My earliest memory is, being around seven, eight years old, and um, just writing a short story. Um, my parents had just bought a computer, and this was the 90s. So yeah, you can imagine the computer. Wasn't <laughs> yeah, with floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, I had just discovered that you could actually type and save what you typed on the computer. And oh my for me, gosh. that was just like, wow. And then I started writing a short story and I saved it and it was so much fun for me. But I think um, the storytelling part came much earlier for me because as a child, my sisters would um, tell me stories when they tucked me in um, at night. And um, it would usually be Danish fairy tales or stories from the Arabian Nights and I was a highly sensitive child. Like I tended to visualize and experience things very, very intensely. Sure. And, and so when they would tell me stories, I experienced them like it was on a whole other level. I would dream about it. In the morning, I would dress up and enact the stories or I would change the narrative and make up my own story. And that was how I kind of discovered that storytelling is fun and I think that's really where it started for me um with my sisters actually oh wow that's so cool Mm -hmm. and yeah and so that fairy tale aspect um do you feel like I mean your because your story is sort of it's a fantasy story right and so do you feel like that like that upbringing or the stories that your sisters would tell you would influence the the way that you're writing? Or is there something else that sort of drew you to the fantasy genre? I think I really liked the idea of being able to build any kind of world and not have the restrictions that you usually have when you write um, a YA contemporary, for instance. Sure. So the idea of being able to build magic systems or, you know, change whatever I wanted and it didn't have to, you know, resemble reality at all. It just had to be something I liked or enjoyed or I found fascinating. I think that played a huge part in why I leaned more toward fantasy. But it's funny because when I started writing I initially wrote horror stories. Oh, wow. Was that your first short story was a horror story? Yeah, it was. I think I was at a friend's house and and we were 
advised and uh, <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> no no yeah yeah and my friend she said um do you want to watch a bollywood movie a, a bollywood movie it's a horror and i was like sure i mean i wanted to be the cool kid you know you didn't of course want to um so she put on this bollywood version of chucky the bride um <gasps> yeah and it was just very weird and scary and for some reason it just stuck with me and when I got home I sat down and I wrote this horror story about a boy who has a doll that tries to kill him and that's kind of where it started with um with horror actually um and then later it it was much later I think I was in my teens when um I actually started uh reading paranormal and okay yeah so it, it's been kind of like a journey from horror to per- paranormal to fantasy um it's it's weird but yeah yeah okay so you you wrote wrote horror and kind of paranormal your sisters told you a lot of fairy tale type stories so I can yeah. kind of see where the Venn diagram is overlapping do you remember like were you a big reader as a child do you remember books that you would read were they also in those same kind of genres or were they different? Um, I used to love, I don't know if you know the series, but the Goosebumps series. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. They these, yeah, there were these uh, middle grade horror stories um, and I used to be obsessed with them. And, um, and that was usually what I read. But I think because I didn't have access to books in English, I tended to just pick up what I could find in Danish. And sure. for, for, for the most part, it was the Goosebumps series. And, um, and apart from that, I just read Danish fairy tales. And yeah, that was basically it for me at the time. There are some things I think about from time to time. And then, and when you just said that, like you didn't have access to books in English, it just made me realize again, I don't know, just how – and maybe this is just my perception because I'm in America, but I do sometimes watch movies and I think the same way about movies where I'll think, oh, this movie is set in New York again or it's set in LA again or it's set in – yeah, just like how pompous is it that <laughs> like every movie is set – not and every movie isn't set in America, right? But like what I perceive is that – the majority of movies are just set in America or like the publishing industry is so saturated with books that are being published from America or in English. It's not a representation of the world at large. Definitely. I don't know. That just feels like another bias or another just like accessibility or inclusivity thing that just isn't happening. Yeah, I agree. Um, Also just because – I used to write in Danish, actually, um, and and I remember it being so difficult for me to learn English because, you know, at the time, um, they didn't teach English at school until around the sixth grade, and then even then, it was very basic English, but for me, English was the language that kind of opened more doors because Danish Denmark is a very small country and and you know Danish um, books aren't really you know a global thing and so I knew that if I wanted to write stories in English I I had to learn English 
on a whole other level. And I knew that if I could achieve that, I would be able to enter a more diverse market. But, mm. but you're right about the part where, you know, diversity is not really, it's, it's not enough yet um, in that sense, because it's still, if you look at the market, the YA fantasy market, there's still a lot of, you know, um, non-diverse books compared to diverse books. Um, so yeah, definitely. I see that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think we're getting to this too, just about like, you've already mentioned like kind of why fantasy and, um, it just allows you to create whatever world you want to create without the constraints. Right. And I think too, I have, um, a friend, CB Lee, she's also an author, um, and her series is also own voices, but, um, it's also like, I don't know if fantasy is, what genre you would put it in but it's like a, it's superhero books and I think that's a very similar reason to why she chose to write the way she chose to write right so because she could take things that maybe were perceived weaknesses or um yeah I don't know things that made her characters different and those became like quite literally her character's superpowers yeah. um and she could just kind of own that and flip the script in a way you're right diversity just in general in so many aspects is not where it needs to be I hope I feel like maybe that's changing um I also hope that small presses like or smaller presses um like interlude press published her books and I think White Tigress Press is your publisher, right? I hope that those those types of publishers can start to break some of these ceilings that are so I feel like so controlled by the big yeah. publishing houses and or those publishing houses just start to take note and like pick up these these books and get them in the mainstream and just help exactly. use put those marketing dollars to work for real people who feel like they aren't being represented. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that was also um, one of the things that I worried about was that, you know, I, although I have written a white fantasy, I, it doesn't quite, um, it's not commercial white fantasy. So, Mm. so, well, not entirely, but it's more like I was really afraid whether it was going to even, you know, be noticed in the market because it doesn't quite fit or follow the YA fantasy hit formula, sort of. Sure. So, um, so it's more like, for instance, it's not a it's not a fast paced, plot driven story with you know lots of romance and you know lots of beloved tropes and and it kind of subverts a little bit from some of the tropes that I have um, included in the story and it's more character driven than it's you know plot driven and so there's that kind of you know uncertainty in terms of whether it you know will make a mark or fit into the mainstream market at all um, because it kind of is a little bit different from what people usually expect when they pick up a YA fantasy, you know, they kind of know what they're getting. They know they're getting a fast paced plot driven story, you know, and, and so that's part of the expectation that you have. And, and I guess I, I just am really nervous that people will pick up this book and have like 
these expectations. But at the same time, I'm like, if you don't take a risk and you don't really, you know, try something different and push the boundaries a little bit of the genre, then how will you really make a change or, you know, um, succeed at all at anything? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I totally hear what you're saying just about the risk and um, and I I think – I hate that you have to feel that way, you know, like I hate that there, that authors have to feel like, oh, is my book marketable enough? Like, is it, you know, like you feel like you have to toe that line of, is it mainstream enough? But like, are we, I don't know, I think of the analogy of the frog in the boiling water, right? Like they're slowly turning the heat up. And so (laughs) the mainstream market, aka the frog, like doesn't know it's getting boiled. Like, that, I don't know. I, I hear where that's coming from, but I'm also – maybe it's the Sagittarius in me where I'm just like, oh, no, we need to set it on fire right now. <laughs> like, let's just make change happen. But we ha- yeah, to some degree, you have to be gentle and like kind of herd cats and get the cat to think that it was their idea all along, <laughs> like a little bit. But I mean, I, I am a huge fan of character-driven stories, and I feel like I don't find them – enough. <laughs> so exactly. when I started yeah, when I started reading your book, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, yes, I'm going to get to spend so much time with Roma and Leviathan and just get to know them and like um yeah, I I got really excited because one of the reasons I like to read is just to like experience something through someone else's eyes. And so that's that's what I feel like character driven stories allow me to do is just immerse myself with that person like in their mind and in their life and yeah you know just get a taste. I remember when I was um, when when I was sending the book over to editors and um, I even had some industry professionals look it over for just like a second opinion because I wanted to make sure that it was you know, marketable, despite, you know, it also just being a story I wanted to tell. Yes. Um, And one of the things that they told me was that, you know, YA readers won't be able to pick up on the, the symbolism and, you know, read between the lines and everything. You need to explain things and, you know, you need to you need to make it more commercial so that, you know, they can absorb it better. And I was very stubborn about not doing that because I was like, I know they're professionals, but I, in my head, I was just like, I believe YA readers are smarter than people give them credit for. And I also believe that challenging their way of reading by pushing them to read between the lines or analyze things on their own is actually healthy and something that they're very much capable of. And so even as a reader, I when I stumble across something that uh, is new to me or I don't know a word or a term from a book, I usually note it down and I think about it or I Google it out of curiosity to see where did the author get this from and how does it fit into the story. Um, and I thought, you know, you you do have readers who, you know, like to be spoon fed, but I think that, you know, it's a good thing to sometimes just push people a little, a little bit and challenge them. Um, and I think 
people would be surprised to see how you can actually, how much you actually understand, um, even when a story world is completely foreign to you. And I think that's part of the experience of reading about a new world is that, you know, you're learning new things and you have to use your mind. You have to, you know, use brain power to actually yes. understand everything. Yeah, that gets me so excited. I, I wonder too, and I'm actually probably not the best sample set of like an American school child <laughs> because I was homeschooled all the way up to college and oh, wow. I feel so grateful for that experience. Um, yeah, my mom was awesome. She was like a hands-on learner, like, ooh, we're going to learn about, you know, bees today. Like, let's go find a beekeeper and we'll just go there and watch them oh, work and cool. ask them all the questions. I had a very, very cool upbringing. I mean, obviously I had to pass all the tests and stuff still too, but um, that yeah, sort of great way like of learning. Totally. Well, and exactly what you're saying though, right? Like I remember I've been reading as long as I can remember. And my mom used to read to us when we would go to bed at night and just what you're saying, like a lot of the words, even if you don't know what they mean, yeah, we would write them down and then go look at them up. Cause I think we both come from like the time when we still had dictionaries and encyclopedias <laughs> and all of that. But um, you, so much, you can understand so much just with context that I, I think some people, maybe that's how I learned a lot of words. I feel like was just like hearing it and in context going, oh, based on what's happening around this word, that's probably what that word means. Yeah. And I actually picked up on that immediately when I was reading your book with the italicized words that you had in there, how like, I felt like you were hinting to me, I'm telling you what this word is, pay attention based on what you're hearing around it or see. And sometimes it sounds like it looked like you would explain the word, you know, out mm -hmm. overtly. But um, I got really excited about that because I thought, oh my gosh, yes, I'm going to learn so many words and I'm going to learn so much just from reading this book. Yeah. I mean, so. I definitely um, try to explain where I can because obviously I don't want my readers to have to flip to the closet every five seconds. Um, sure. <laughs> but like if there are words where I think by repeating them, they would start to understand and, and they wouldn't have to, um, you know, get the explanation in the text then I try, I, I think I just try to keep a balance so yeah. that, you know, so it's not like they have to flip to the glossary every time, but also not so that they are completely lost or, you know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cause you, you know, if you lose them, then, then that's not the goal either. But, no. but yeah, I, I, that, that just gets me so excited. I, I think you're totally right. And I'm so glad you pushed back because I think I think that's one of the beautiful things about reading. I agree with you that you know it it challenges you or it makes you think about something a little differently. And um, yeah. yeah, I want I want that out of life, much less out of the books I read for sure. Yeah, um, I think um, I think the hardest part about when this publishing process has really been to stand with my book in the sense that. I, I had, you know, I had the choice between um, shaping this book into a commercial YA fantasy and, you know, landing a big publishing house and then taking it that way. Yeah. Or I could go down a different path where I would 
you know, not follow the formula and then risk not having a big publishing house backing me. And back then I just, I, I felt like I literally could not make myself shape this book into what, you know, would fit the mainstream market just to fit the mainstream market. Um, And I think, you know, you have to kind of figure out with yourself what's important to you. And, you know, there are other ways to to be published. So, um, I mean, much more today than there was 10 years ago. So I definitely don't feel like I suffered a loss at all. Um, And and so, yeah, it's it's a little bit it's a difficult decision to make because you have to figure out with yourself what matters. But um, but I'm happy with the way I shaped this book and I'm, and I'm glad I, I took it down a different path because I, I can stand by it now. Uh, and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I changed it. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm, I mean, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you did too, because I feel like that just shows your character and how strong you are in your, you know, your morals and your own convictions of what you believe in because I feel like it would be so quote-unquote so easy to just say oh okay well if that's gonna get me published then yeah I'll change this or I'll concede this or I'll compromise here and not only are you saying like you stood with your book and that it kind of sounds like it strengthened the relationship between you and your book um but also just that is this i think the strong thing to do it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of strength to say no these are my convictions and i'm going to stand with those and um i i think that's one of those things you know you, i feel like i listen to a lot of businessy type podcasts and they say <laughs> you know like just do do the thing that you are excited about because then that energy will attract the energy of the people you want there anyway. And I feel like that applies here too, where your energy of just fighting for and with your book and standing by those convictions is is going to attract the readership I that you want and is almost like karma in a way. Like you're putting that out into the universe and the yeah. universe is going to send send the readers and send the hype and the excitement, you know. I so. um, <laughs> I, I believe it. I really hope so. Yeah, for sure. But I I just think that's an awesome. I mean, I don't know you personally, but I feel like just in this conversation that we've had, I I can see that. I can see that conviction and that um, just tenacity that it that it takes to, you know, I don't know, just challenge the status quo, which I'm really excited about. I just love meeting people who are who feel that way too. Where it's like just because it's been done this way doesn't mean it has to be done this way. Yeah. Um. So and and so without getting too much into like uh i mean it won't be spoilery for your book but uh your book deals with a lot of heavy topics like that too right there's mm-hmm. um you know cultural oppression and there's a caste system and there's slavery and just yeah like a lot of heavy topics and so yeah. i guess um to kind of ask some of those questions like how did your how did your own life or experiences or even knowledge from, you know, just growing up or what you saw in the world around you, how did they lead to this being a part of your story? And why did you feel like it was important to include those process, those 
parts into the story. And I don't know, can you tell me a little bit more about like that world building and yeah. yeah, And why, why they're, why the heavy topics and how you, how you kind of processed and dealt with those maybe? Um, I think cultural oppression of women and the existence of a social order is something that appears in both Western and Eastern culture, just in different forms. Sure. Um, But I wanted to focus on what it looked like in my culture. And, um, and I looked at how I especially looked at how women were perceived and treated compared to men in pre-Islamic Arabian society. Because when I looked at that society and I looked at current South Asian society, I could actually see things were pretty much similar um, mm. that certain things that happened back then were still happening. Um, for instance, um, burying your newborn daughters um, alive out of shame <sighs> is something that still takes place in South Asia. And this was an ancient pre-Islamic Arabian custom. Um, oh, and so yeah. when you compare those things, you kind of look at society and go like, have we really progressed at all? Because, you know, how can this be happening still? Because we're talking about a time that is ancient, you know? And, right. um, and I, yeah, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, quite literally. Um, and I thought I wanted to portray that perception and treatment of women through how they're told to serve men in this story world. Mm-hmm. In Roma's case, religion is used to cultivate temple prostitution, for instance. Mm-hmm. And she's told that by serving men, she's actually serving the gods. And um, and the gods were used in, in ancient Arabia to cultivate temple prostitution and to generally just control people. And so I wanted to show not just how Roma was treated in, in this story world where women um, are oppressed, but also how women around her were being oppressed and the kind of abuse that they had to endure and, you know, how they must raise their children on their own and provide for their family through any means, whether that's prostitution or how they're constantly, there's this constant pressure on them to prove their worth or be of some use because they were born female and how all of this really enables men who become incompetent at basic human skills like cooking yeah. or cleaning and they don't have any sense of responsibility or accountability and that's kind of what I wanted to bring out with this fictional society in in the descent of the drowned um, and I just wanted to mirror actual society in a way and um, and and show kind of like how women actually survive um in in current south asian society as well um Hmm. in terms of the caste system i i wanted to portray the treatment of the lowest in caste through how the clans are considered impure and alienated from society and generally just how your caste determines your identity and position in society which is again something that's current right now it's happening in South Asia, there is a caste system and, you know, there are the untouchables who are considered impure and the lowest in caste. And, you know, I I grew up um, seeing uh, the lower castes or untouchables 
um, you know, when they touched a glass of water, um, don't drink from it because now it's impure. And so this kind of mentality, I think that's what I wanted to, to illustrate in this fictional world. It was the mentality where you see the caste system, how it exists, how people perceive other people that aren't from their caste and also just how women have less value than men and you know it's just how it is it's there's you could think you could consider and and go back and be like where did it where did it come from like how did this come to be but it's so strange really to, if you think about it because you know we're all human in the end and so it's like how did it even happen like when did women and men stop being equal you know so yeah 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 for sure so um and I mean a lot of it sounds like much of this came from you know just personal experience or like growing up and seeing things but it sounds like there was also quite a bit of research probably that you had to do (laughs) um yeah, what was that process like? I'm I'm always curious to know like yeah, what was your research process like and what did you find yourself reading and digging into or questions you found yourself asking? Um I the the funny thing is I enjoy the researching process more than the writing process. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So for me researching is just fun and I'm one of those types of writers who when I find an article and if there are any links in the article I will keep clicking on the links on you'll click them all yeah and yeah and then if I find if it leads me to a new article with new links I'll click on those links and I'll just keep going <laughs> and I don't stop yeah <laughs> yeah it's a rabbit hole for me and um and that's kind of how I managed to collect all this research it was just by finding articles and clicking on every reference and then it just led me to more and more stuff and um, obviously I started in a place where I already had some knowledge um, yes because um, just talking about um, for instance the transgender community in the story world which I, I mentioned at one point and it's like when I was growing up and I visited Pakistan, you know, family in Pakistan. And if there were weddings or childbirths, you would usually see transgender women show up. And I remember as a child, just wondering, like, who are they? Where did, where did they come from? And I would ask people and they would tell me, oh, they're, they're, they're special creatures. They're this or that. And, you know, in a really convoluted way, just kind of give me a weird explanation that made me think oh so they're not human or what and interesting yeah and seeing how they were treated and it just disturbed me in my child brain it was disturbing to watch because I didn't understand why or you know what made them different from us other than what people were telling me right and and so when I when I included that community in the book, when I when I touched upon that subject, it was with the experience that I had had from my trips to Pakistan, what I had witnessed, how people perceived them, 
and how they explain to other people how to perceive them. And so I kind of put that mentality into the book to kind of portray how they're perceived by South Asian society in actuality, like currently. And so that's kind of the same approach I had with basically every subject um, in the book, whether it was oppression of women or, you know, mm-hmm. class system or the transgender community in South Asia. It was with some experience I had had in my life that made me wonder or question what was happening or who these people were or, you know, so that's kind of where I started my research. And then, you know, the rabbit hole came and, and it was like, you know, clicking and, and finding more and more. Um, but yeah, it started with some kind of preconceived notion or knowledge that I had um, that I then researched. And then I kind of figured things out from there. Um, yeah, of course. Well, and I, I feel so, um, not like, I don't know, naive maybe is the wrong word. Um, but ignorant, I didn't even realize, um, well, maybe because I haven't gotten to that part yet, but that that was, um, a part of, uh, even a, a facet of your book, the transgender community. And that is very exciting to me. I mean, I, I feel like this is your book and you as a person are just one of those authors that are going to do so much for so many people. And as far as just it, like so many individuals could pick up your book, I feel like, and feel seen in a way, you know, they're, I feel like they're going to open it and I'm sure I'll feel this way when I review it. I'm just getting even more excited listening to you talk because they're just going to open it and they're going to feel seen. And I think that is such a powerful thing that a book can do, even if it's just, you know, a small portion of the plot or one character or something. I I just feel like, yeah, I, I just feel like that's going to do so much for so many people. I get asked a lot specifically on my podcast or on panels. I have been lately at least about transgender books and main characters to recommend. And so that's been a goal of mine this year was just to specifically read more transgender representation um, so that I have more to, to say. And so this this is just exciting to me because I feel like this will become one of those books that I that I can share. Um, yeah. But, Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I feel very, <laughs> I have privilege in this, like in so many ways, right? I, I grew up in the middle class. I'm white. I'm cisgendered. I never got picked on um, when I was younger for the way I looked or anything. Um, and I can go into a bar and no one would know I'm queer. Like they just look at me and they think guys hit on me mainly, right? And um, so I, I feel like I have a lot of safety when I move through the world. And I feel like I have a lot of safety that in some ways I just wish I didn't because I just, I I mean, there's, there's layers too of like, I'm still a woman, right? So I'll talk to my now like male partner about how at night, like I don't walk by myself or, you know, I'm always looking around. I never wear headphones if I run at night, like those kinds of things. Yeah, There are just so many layers of the world that I can move so freely through um, that in a lot of ways I wish I couldn't, but I think that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. And I'm so grateful for you to come on and just share your story and share 
I mean, quite literally share your actual story, but also your personal story. I'm so grateful that that I can be here and share it as well. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, No, thank you for being here. So kind of, I guess, I can't believe it's been 45 minutes, but I I want to start kind of winding down. And something I want to ask just still a little bit about the book, one last thing is... So there's a lot of influences. Like you said, you have your own personal experiences. There's your cultural upbringing, the um, history of the pre-Islamic Arabian society that you wanted to bring in. There's religions and mythology. And all of these things are coming together to create your book. So how did, like, did you have a specific goal in mind when you set out to write the book? And like, was there something you were hoping to achieve with it? And do you feel like you did? And like, how did you bring all of these pieces, I guess, together to form that singular goal? I feel like I would have been so overwhelmed sitting down and thinking all of these ideas, like how do I turn them into one idea? (laughs) How did you bake that cake? Oh, wow. Um, Is that a giant question? (laughs) It is. um, But it's also a very good question because um, obviously, um, well, I, I have a mental illness, so um, I have certain struggles with, you know, remembering things and just generally having a lot of thoughts in my head. And so for me, it was a difficult process to kind of keep in mind every single detail. And I ended up having hundreds of notes and constantly being afraid that I had missed something or, you know, um, misrepresented something or like, you know, that fear because you're really passionate about something and you want it to be right. And you just don't want to do something that makes it wrong. Yeah. And so it, it was a lot. It wasn't, um, it was a lot of information and a lot of, um, you know, hard work trying to take all that information and put it together in a story um, without overwhelming the reader um, and, you know, still balancing things out, not not just having like a list that I'm checking off, like, oh, I represented this, I represented that. It, sure. it, it was more like, you know, make it make it real, make it feel like it's a mirror of the real world. And so every element is a natural part of this world and not something that's kind of in your face every time. Um, and so it, it was a long process and it was, it, it was a lot of hard work. Um, yeah. But um, I, had, I had three goals, um, actually. And the first one was obviously to complete the novel and publish it. Yes, a great um, goal. <laughs> kind of like basic. Uh, and and the second was to write a story that would spread awareness, provoke thought, and hopefully, hopefully educate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third was to have it become a success and if possible, even a commercial success. And, you know, it's the the first part i feel like i have almost accomplished once the book is released it's done <laughs> and you know i can kind of cross that off the second one i think you know spreading awareness it's it's a constant process so every time a reader picks up this book 
um, it's spreading awareness. And so mm-hmm. that will continue. And, and that feels like, oh, okay, that's happening right now. So um, I think the third one is, you know, it's not really up to me once the book is out, it's in the hands of the readers, whether they like the story, whether they spread the word about it, share it, promote it, hype it up, all of that. I can't control that part. And so I have to let that part of my goal go and be like, you know, that's not in my hands once the book is released. And I just have to, you know, continue, I have to move on and and write the next book. And so, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. So goal three is kind of TBD. (laughs) Yeah. So actually, that's really cool. So your three goals are kind of like the past, the current, the present and the future goals. So there's one for each. Yeah. That's really, that's great. Well, and you did publish it. I mean, so The Descent of the Drowned comes out on the 15th. Is that correct? Am I right? Yeah. Okay. So right around the corner. Um, This podcast is going to come out just a teeny bit before that. So Mm -hmm. I'll definitely, you know, have links for everybody to go buy it, check it out, support it, find it, find you. I have no doubt just based on what I have heard, what I have seen, what I have read personally, that, I mean, I'm just so excited to see where your book goes because- I hope it becomes one of those things that, you know, you can look back on and just say, well, I hoped that it would, you know, just explode and, but I had no idea how excited people were going to be about it. Cause I think I just have a feeling that they are. Um, but thank you so much for talking so much about yourself, about your process. I, I know I probably asked a lot of process questions, but I'm just always so curious how, you know, people come to be where they are and how they get to, you know, everyone has such a different creative process and I'm just such a nerd for it. I love hearing about it. Um, yeah, as, as we wrap up. So one question I always like to ask people who are on my podcast is, uh, what are you reading right now? Is there a book that you have on your nightstand? Um, Right now, I'm actually not reading um, okay. anything because I'm writing. And when I'm writing, I have this fear that I'll be influenced by what I'm reading and it will somehow infe- affect my writing. And so I just, I don't read when I'm writing. That and, is um, fair. But I think the last book I read, which I really enjoyed, um, was Purple Hibiscus by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And um, that's that's one that's still on my mind. Um, so if I had to mention a book that I, you know, that I really like, I would definitely, I would definitely recommend that one. Yeah, I'll have to pick it up because it, I mean, even just the title is very intriguing. Okay, so that was going to be my kind of cheeky next question. I stalked you a little bit online and mm-hmm. ended up on your Goodreads author page and saw that you might be writing a sequel to The Descendant of the Drowned. Is that true? Yes, it's true. Oh my goodness. Ah, that's so exciting. Um, wow. Yeah. Did you expect to be? Did you expect it would be a series when you started writing it or? Oh yeah. I um, okay. I have all three 
books planned out from the start. It's a trilogy. Um, yeah. So everything, like the whole plot, everything, the character's journey, what's going to happen, everything is planned out. I just have to write it. Wow. that's So, so that's kind of like the what's next for you is – Stay tuned. <laughs> Once this book comes out, book two will hopefully shortly follow. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right, Anna. Well, where can my listeners find you and support you? Where is like a, the most impact going to be? Are you on social media? I know you're on Twitter, I think. Yeah. Tell us where we can find you. I am on Instagram and Twitter at Anna. And I also have a website, which is laldinana.net. So that's where you can find me. Okay, perfect. I'll make sure all of that is linked down below so people can very easily click and find and support you. Um, yeah. And then, of course, buy your book, you know. Yes, it's going to be available. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be available wherever books are sold. And, you, I mean – I've read like the first quarter of it and just you, all of you listeners, you are not going to want to miss this one. It is stunning. The writing style, the writing style is stunning. The characters are amazing. And I mean, if you're a person who buys books based on covers, I feel like that should do, should do it too, should convince you <laughs> because the cover is also stunning. Anna, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. I'm just so grateful for you taking the time and talking to everyone and, and sharing your story. Thank um, you so, so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, it's been a really great experience. Thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah, um, definitely stay tuned. Uh, the Descent of the Drowned comes out on March 15th, and you're going to want to read it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.